So 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Keep in mind that these are the last words of Paul the Apostle that we have in the New Testament as he's pinning what is uh, one of the three pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and then Titus. And as Paul had written to Timothy five years prior to this, we know that uh, he wrote First Timothy, and he was writing to Timothy as he was commissioned to be the pastor there at Ephesus. Ephesus was a major church in proconsular Asia. And, and not only would Timothy have responsibilities with the, the church at Ephesus with the challenges inwardly, as Paul's saying, you need to uh, deal with those who are bringing in myths and fables and teaching the law, having no indication what it is that they're saying, those who were bringing a prosperity message as well, that Timothy deal with them. And then also now at this time in 2 Timothy, Paul's not so much writing about church conduct and church order and leadership, but he's writing to Timothy personally about his own life, his own ministry, that you are to be like that good soldier, Timothy, endure hardship. You need to be that vessel of honor for the Lord. So this encouragement that Paul's given in exhortation to Timothy is really heartfelt. And these are the last words to a young disciple that Paul loved very much. He, he called him a true son in the faith, a beloved son. And so Timothy, this is what I'm writing to you as he's putting pen to parchment in that deep, dark dungeon there in Rome. So, Father, as we read these words, these words are inspired by you. And they're not just for Timothy. They're for us. There's something here for us. And, Lord, this last charge that Paul gives to Timothy before he is put to death that, Lord, we just ask that you would just touch our hearts. And it's a word for us, looking not only at the implication, but the application for us today. So help us keep our ears open. I pray we're free from distractions. And, Lord, that we would uh, hear you speaking to us through the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, keep in mind that Timothy has been with Paul for some 20 years now as Paul first met Timothy on his second missionary journey. And, and Paul, as he comes into the city of Lystra, there were the brethren that said, that, hey, Paul, we have someone here that you should meet, and he has a good reputation among the church. So Paul would meet Timothy, and he would ask him to join him and Silas on that second missionary journey. And we know that Paul would then make his way, as you read those chapters 16, 17, and 18 of the book of Acts, that Paul made his way to Philippi there in northern Greece in the area of, of Macedonia. And there the first church in Europe was established. He would then travel to Thessalonica and then to Berea. After a couple of weeks in Thessalonica, they were uh, driven out because of persecution. And they would go to Berea. They, then Paul would travel to Athens when he's in Athens. He would send Timothy back to Thessalonica because he wanted to know their state. They were being persecuted. And then they would meet up in Corinth where Paul would stay for a year and a half in Corinth, which was a long time for Paul to stay in one city. But revival broke out in Corinth. And so very fascinating as you look at it. But Timothy is one that has ministered alongside with Paul faithfully learned from Paul, been discipled by Paul. Uh, he is one that suffered along with Paul. And Paul calls him a faithful servant. I have one, no one you know, like-minded but Timothy. And as he is writing this letter, there's a special bond that you see 
that is only found in the Lord that he has with Timothy, a deep love for him. And Father uh, Paul has been a father to Timothy. So Paul, once again, in prison in a dungeon in Rome, persecution at this time is about 67. Some uh, scholars put it at 68 A.D. right now. And persecution has been coming against the church by the orders of Caesar Nero. Caesar Nero has declared war on the church. He's putting Christians to death in horrible ways, feeding them to the lions, uh, sewing them up in wild animal skins and throwing them out for wild uh, dogs to, to tear at. Uh, he would burn them at the stakes and he would mock them, as one historian writes, to add to their misery and, and to their suffering. So it's very difficult days as Paul's writing to Timothy, saying, Timothy, you must deal with those disapproved workers, that which is going on inside the church and false teachers. And he would give these warnings as we have seen that there's going to be those of corrupt minds, those who are always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. It's going to be perilous times, dangerous times. Timothy, there are going to be those who are going to be counterfeit like in the days of Moses and Janus and Jambres. And know this, Timothy, that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And Timothy had seen Paul suffer persecution in his years of ministry, even at this time, as Paul's getting ready to be executed by the orders of Caesar Nero. And we know that as he says to Timothy, that Timothy, what is your response to this? And, and that's what's important because there is a response to all these things as we live in perilous times. They are dangerous times right now. We live in a day and age where uh, evil men and imposters are growing worse and worse, just as we are told in Scripture it would be in the last days. We're going to be persecuted if, as we live for Jesus Christ to some degree, in some way. There are those who are always learning, thinking that they're scholars and philosophers, but not coming to the truth of God's Word. We have those who have corrupt minds and those who are counterfeit. So all these things that we face today, and what is our response to it? Well, Paul has been writing to Timothy and saying you need to be one that you are that that approved diligent dedicated worker for God to be that vessel of honor sanctified and useful for the master and, and Timothy you make sure that you stick to and that you teach and that you give the word of God make sure that you do that because all scripture is inspired by God Timothy continue in the scriptures that you've learned from childhood and and, and know that it's all God breathed that the word of God that we have, and we spent time in chapter 3 uh, taking our time going through it, looking at it over the last couple weeks, because I want us to understand we have good reason to know that from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, this is all inspired by God. It is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God given to us. And we can trust it. It has the divine origin from an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-eternal God. And God breathed written on the page as the Holy Spirit moved through holy men, giving us the word of God. And we can trust it. And we can believe in it. And we can stand on it. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I know that your heart and your desire is that you want to be one, that you live a life pleasing to the Lord. 
to, to help us guys be the men of God he wants us to be and the husband, the father he wants us to be. Uh, for me to, to know the word of God and, and to have it be worked into my heart, having my heart teachable so I can be the pastor that he wants me to be. And for you ladies, that you want to be equipped so you can be the woman of God, the wife, the mother uh, that the Lord wants you to be for all of us to live a life pleasing to him. And it comes by growing in the word of God. So as Paul talks about the inspiration and the sufficiency, authority of the Word of God, he's going to now give this last charge as we move out chapter 3, now into chapter 4, to Timothy, as these are the last words again of Paul telling us something of his heart and priority. Uh, just like if we had last words that we were to give to a loved one, if we were to do that today, it probably isn't going to be who's going to win the Super Bowl, or what the weather forecast, the snow coming in tomorrow. If you had five sentences to give to your loved one, if it was a son or it was a daughter, or a spouse, or a brother or a sister, what would you say? And what would your charge be? One commentator said that Paul here, writing his last words, this is a dying man, and he's writing to dying men. You see, Timothy and others, they would be persecuted. Timothy would be martyred for his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, is what history tells us. And so in this letter that he writes to Paul, again, inspired by God, but is very personal, is heartfelt. And he is really expressing the purpose of his ministry in life. So as he is doing that, the priority of ministry is Paul soon will be under the axman's swing. And he's going to be passing the baton here of ministry on to Timothy. What would we say? As we live in an environment where Christians are being more ostracized. The word of God is being dismissed more and more in the church today. And of course, there's more of an attack in culture today on the word of God. That, that even Christians uh, are uh, not having a, a proper worldview, a Christian worldview of the things around us. And we see it and it concerns us and it breaks our hearts. So as we read these final words, we do read in verse 1 of 2 Timothy 4, that Paul writes, I charge you, therefore, I charge you, Timothy, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. I charge you, Timothy. And we know, as we've seen this word in First and Second Timothy that, that the apostle has used, I charge you, Timothy. It's a very strong word. It, it's I command you. It, it's like a word given from a, a commanding officer to a soldier. And, of course, Timothy, you be like a soldier that is is fighting the good warfare for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be entangled with the things of the world as we have seen. And, and as Paul has given this word to Timothy, this is very important. The last charge that he gives to him, uh, he says that you are to be one, that you preach the word. And it interests me because the very first charge that we read of Paul given to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, is that Timothy, I charge you, teach no other doctrine. Now is this final charge, I charge you that you preach the word. 
This is what you must do if you're going to be a godly pastor, minister. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, or perhaps it, it can be translated in the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to appear again and set up his kingdom. Paul, at the end of his life, he still believes the Lord's going to come and establish his kingdom. And you can sense Paul's heart here. This is of earnest, of great importance. It, it can be translated that I, I charge you, therefore I testify before God of this great and final exhortation, Timothy. I'm going home to be with the Lord, and I won't be around to remind you of this any longer. But you preach the word. And we have seen, Paul, how he has given a lot of effort and put a lot of energy into writing Timothy and reminding Timothy of the priority and the importance of the Word of God, the necessity of the Word of God, the power of the Word of God in people's life, the power of the gospel. And if you truly want to be a godly and effective pastor, that vessel of honor that I've written to you about, then you preach the word and you be ready to do that at all times. In other words, in season and out of season. Why? Because as we saw last week as we closed the chapter that the word of God being inspired by God, God breathed, it is profitable for us, as I've already mentioned, as we've read and been in discussing over the last couple of weeks. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, for every good work. So make the teaching of the Word of God a priority. This is God-breathed given to you to give to others. And that word preach has the meaning of proclamation. A proclamation uh, from a representative of a king. I charge you before God to, to preach, to proclaim what our King, Lord Jesus Christ has declared what the Word of God has declared. Be ready to do it in season. It means we are ready to give that word at times that you have prepared a Bible study, a devotion to give some to somebody. When you're teaching the kids or maybe youth or a lady study or a men's study or a small group at work or a home study, whatever the case may be, when you're ready and then out of season. And what that means is, is that people are going to come to you, maybe even tomorrow. As you go to work, as you go to school, and people that are linked to us in their lives, maybe your children might come to you this week, or a friend, or a family member, and they're confused, and they're wondering, and they need wisdom, and, and they're struggling, and you are to give comfort, that is, the comfort of God's Word, and the truth of God's Word, and to be able to minister to them a word that is used to minister to their needs and their situation. Because you see, as a pastor, I don't know what calls I'm going to get tomorrow. I don't know who's going to stop by and has a problem and difficulty or is heartbroken. And I want to be ready. I want to be equipped to be able to minister to them and give a word to them. Timothy, this is what you're to do, and it's for us today. You're to be like that representative that proclaims the words of the king, proclaim the logos, the word. You represent the king, that Jesus is Lord. He is the judge, and he will usher in his kingdom. Timothy, you're to stand at your post, and it doesn't matter if people don't like it or if they're offended by it. And listen, as we give the gospel to others and we give the truth of God's word to others, people are going to be offended by it. 
Paul wrote to the Corinthians that we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block to the Greeks foolishness. And we as Christians, as believers, as we give, as we proclaim the word of God, it will do a work in people's lives because as we discussed, there's power in the word of God and the word of God is alive. Now, at the beginning of the service, I read to you from Isaiah 55. I love Isaiah 55. It's a short chapter, only 13 verses, but it's a powerful chapter. It's, it, it's just um, it's one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. But in, in verses 10 and 11, I'll read it to you. The Lord says this in Isaiah 55 again, For as the rain comes down in the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what it pleases, and it shall prosper in the thing in which I have sent it. And so as we read this, we know that the word of God is going to accomplish what it was sent. It's not going to return void. It's going to work in people's life. And proclaiming the word, of course, means and includes that we're also going to give the gospel. That should be the prior priority of every Christian that wants to be used of the Lord. It should be the priority of every Christian, period. As you minister to your children. As you minister to others. To truly be used of God in these days because there's a lot of confusion out there. There's people that don't know truth. There are people out there that are so wrapped up in the craziness and the weirdness of the world and of culture. So it should be the priority of us to give people the truth of God's word and to give it in love. And it should be the priority of every ministry and every church as we minister to your kids there in the children's ministry or the youth upstairs. Or if we have lady study or men's studies or firm foundation class or small groups that meet, we proclaim his word. We don't try to diminish it. We don't excuse it. We're not going to dismiss it. We're not going to ignore it. We're not going to be embarrassed by it. And we're not going to be afraid if somebody is offended by it. Because we are not helping people if we don't give them truth. And I think that maybe it was this service last week that I mentioned that Spurgeon, that he said, the word of God is like a line. Just let it loose. Let it out. Let it do the work that it's going to accomplish. Just proclaim. Preach the word. This is my last charge to you, Timothy. And it has been a constant emphasis of Paul to Timothy in both these letters. And, and we've seen it certainly in 2 Timothy that do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Chapter 1, verse 8 of this epistle. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. Chapter 1, verse 13. The things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these things to faithful men. Chapter 2, verse 2. Rightly divide the word of truth. Chapter 2, verse 15. And a servant of the Lord must be able to teach, chapter 2, verse 24. And as I've already mentioned in chapter 3, we must continue in the scriptures. That is a present imperative. It's not an option. You must continue learning. We proclaim his word, not what is popular in culture, not our own word, not just given myths and fables, not just to, to please people and their flesh. 
we give the truth of God's word. And anyone serving Christ should be speaking on his behalf. Timothy preached the word. Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 that I have not neglected to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. And when Paul in chapter 19 was, was teaching there, as revival broke out in Ephesus, he was teaching at the school Tyrannus for two years. And he taught those disciples six days a week, four hours a day for two years, all of the Old Testament scripture. And we can see the flow of what Paul has been saying here. Timothy, you be that man of God who knows the word of God and it will equip you for every good work and you preach it, you proclaim it. The best way to be equipped is to be a student of the word, to know, to study the scriptures, keep coming and learning the scriptures, that you can then give that word to that person in that situation who needs to hear the truth of God's word. And I'm kind of mentioning this and kind of emphasizing this because I have known those who want to be used of the Lord, but they don't want to be interested or disciplined in really studying the word. They, they want to be full of emotion. They want to be, you know, uh, excited and all of this. But they don't have a word to give because they haven't really learned the word of God. Second Samuel chapter 18. Many of you, you know the story. David's son Absalom led a rebellion. David has to flee Jerusalem. So he flees over the Mount of Olives into the wilderness, and he takes his mighty men with him, and Joab is, is the head of his army. And Absalom has the whole you know, nation that, that they turn their hearts, as it tells us in 2 Samuel, that he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Well, Absalom wants his father dead. He's full of anger and full of bitterness. So he is going to go to war against David and his mighty men. And he goes out in the wilderness. David is tucked away in a safe place. Joab and his men, they go to battle against uh, Absalom and, and the men of Israel. And, and as Absalom is there, the, the David's mighty men are, are gaining victory. Absalom's on a donkey. He's riding through some trees. And Absalom, as you read the Old Testament, had this long flowing hair. And, you know, he was without spot or blemish, you know, real handsome. Well, he, he goes through some trees and his hair get caught up in a tree and he's swinging as the donkey keeps going. Joab sees him and does him in, uses him for target practice. Joab has to give word to David what had happened, what happened in the battles. The men of Israel fled. He pulls aside the Cushite, says, you need to go and tell David the word, what happened what happened to Absalom, that he's dead. So the Cushite takes off. In the meantime, there's another guy there, uh, Ahimeaz. He's going, I want to go. Let me go, let me go. And Joab says, what do you mean you go? You don't have a word to give. Let me go, let me go. And Joab says, get out of here. So Ahimeaz, he takes off to where David was. He passes the, the Cushite along the way, and all of a sudden the watchman where David was saying, hey, I, I see somebody approaching. It, it's Ahimeaz. He's coming. So Ahimeaz comes, and, and he's huffing, and he's puffing, and, and David says, what's the word? What's going on with the battle? <sighs> well, I don't know. What's going on? A lot of commotion. A lot of confusion, a lot of noise out there. What happened to my son Absalom? Well, I don't know. 
David says, stand aside and wait here. There's another man coming. It was the Cushite. What happened? And the Cushite gave a word to David that your son Absalom is dead. The rebellion has been squashed. And David, of course, would grieve at that news. But here's the thing. I have known those who want to be used sincerely in their heart. But there are ones that they don't want to take in and be disciplined and study. They're not in fellowship. They're not consistent in, in, in being here and learning and being around the sheep. And they say, I want to go. I want to do this. And over time, you don't have a word to give because you haven't really been in the word of God. And don't be surprised if the king says that is the son of David, the greater than David, our King Jesus. If he doesn't say, just wait here. I want to use you, but I need to prepare you. And to prepare you as you grow in the word of God. And listen, it is the man of God feeding the people of God and the power of the spirit of God proclaiming the word of God. And how we need the word of God. We see all that is going on around us. How people in verse 26 of chapter 2 are being taken captive by the enemy. Timothy, you preach the word. Be faithful to that. And be ready in season and out of season. Stand your guard and be at your post. Be on your watch to proclaim the word of the Lord in season and out of season. In other words, at every opportunity. When it's convenient and when it's not convenient. And you see, Timothy is hearing this from Paul. Paul was a wonderful example of that. Timothy's not hearing anything or being charged something that he didn't see in Paul's life and in his ministry. Paul, he preached the word in season and out of season. When it was convenient, when it wasn't easy, he would preach in the temple courtyard when a riot had broke out. He would teach in the amphitheater as a prisoner to Agrippa and to the governor, an amphitheater full of people. He was one that he preached from house to house. He preached in the synagogues. He taught publicly. He would preach to the sailors in that storm in the Mediterranean. And you and I are to proclaim the word of God in season and out of season. We do it when culture is accepting and when culture is not accepting. When people are thankful and when they are mad at us. In season and out of season. When you're feeling great and when you have a headache. When you're energized and when you're tired. Lord, I'm just tired. And I know I need to go and teach this Bible study. I know I need to go and teach those kids or those youth or give a word to a friend. You do it in season and out of season. When you're excited and when you're frustrated, you be at your guard and you proclaim the word because the king is coming and he's going to judge the living and the dead. And in your readiness to give the word, you need to do it with, as it's marked with three elements. Number one, convince. Secondly, rebuke. And thirdly, exhort. With all long suffering and teaching. Number one, convince. It reads in the King James, I believe, to, to reprove. Jesus said in John 16, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict, that's our word here, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. 
So if we're proclaiming the word of the king, there will be conviction. And listen, conviction is not a bad thing. Conviction's a good thing. Because it comes from the Lord. And I'm grateful for that conviction so I can get on track and I can seek the word of God and know what it is that is wrong as my attitudes or actions or whatever it is. But today the church doesn't want to be convicted. So many Christians. There is blessing in conviction. It is different than condemnation. Will you remember that? Conviction comes from the Lord to draw you to the Lord. Condemnation comes from the enemy to push you away from the Lord. That's the difference. And know, as Romans chapter 8 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means today there's no condemnation for you. But he does convict us because he wants what's best for us. And conviction is a part of the word of God as we receive it. Conviction happens as we proclaim it. One of the rules of preaching from Warren Worsby, who was the pastor's pastor, he said this, when it comes to preaching, we should afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. If we convict but not give any hope or remedy, we just add to people's burdens. Jeremiah, as we're going through the book of Jeremiah, 40 years as he's watching a nation die and he's going to watch Jerusalem be destroyed, he's bringing a difficult message, but he doesn't leave them without any hope. Yes, you're going to go off into captivity, says the Lord, and my thoughts towards you are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. I'm still your future and hope. And if you turn to me and seek me, you'll find me. So we want to give hope to people, not just blast away, Jeremiah, he would preach with tears. He was the weeping prophet. And we are to rebuke. If we just encourage those, then if we don't convict, if we don't bring rebuke, those who need it, then we just add to their carnality and sin. And the idea of rebuke has the idea of bringing clarity from the word of God. So they know how to do what is right. It has the idea of we're helping them see that there's something wrong again in their behavior or thinking or attitude or speech. And it's not judging to condemnation. People will say to you and to me, you're judging me. I'm bringing correction to you from the word of God. I want to bring truth to you. I want to help you. And we live in a culture where even the church doesn't want that. They don't want rebuke. They don't want to hear it. I just want to live the way I want to live. I want to continue in my sin and carnality. And I know that people will get mad at us and come down on us. and Relationships get strained and severed because of it. But let the truth of God's word convict. We give the word of God in truth. We don't blast away letting people know how smart I am and I'm going to show them. And You've heard me say this many times. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. I care about you, brother. As late as you're speaking this to one of the sisters, I care about you. And you need to change and you need to stop because you're going to get hurt. And here's a word to you because the Lord loves you. And I say this with humility and a broken heart. You bring the word to them. You exhort the ideas to come alongside and encourage someone to do what is right and pleasing in the sight of God. And notice here, and this really stuck out to me this week. I've read this a 
many times. But we're to do it with all long-suffering and teaching. Will you please note that? With long-suffering. So those are two words that we don't like to put together, right? Short-suffering is hard enough. Long-suffering? It's long-suffering. And as I read, for example, the men of God that were used in the scriptures, they proclaimed God's word and truth with long-suffering. Moses did for 40 years in the wilderness. Isaiah did for 40 years. Jeremiah for 40 years. They didn't just blast away. They brought rebuke, and they did it with tears, just as Paul did for all the years of ministry. As he would address the Ephesian elders, he said, You know what manner of man I was when I first came to you? And lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears and trials. How I kept nothing back from you that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught it to you publicly from house to house. As you're giving the word to others, whether it's to your kids or to family or co-workers, there is time involved with it, isn't there? And those of us who are parents know that to be true. And I know that in my years of teaching God's word, I realize as I minister the word that I, it is long-suffering with it because I've had people come and I think, are you growing? Are you learning? Are you just going to continue in sin and carnality or whatever? There's a process, and I am to continue to give it in love and with long-suffering. So parents, I want to encourage you, you keep giving it to your children you keep investing the word of God to them, to your grandchildren. You keep doing it. Don't give up. Keep praying for them, for a relative that you're praying for. Keep giving them the word. For a friend, whoever it might be. Timothy, this is my last charge to you. You proclaim the word in season and out of season. When it's easy and when it's difficult, let the word convict and to rebuke and exhort. And you never stop. You do it with all long-suffering. You continue at it. Because there are perilous times and, verse 3, the time's going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they'll heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. This charge given to preach and teach the word, as we've seen Paul tell Timothy repeatedly in the two epistles he wrote to him, teach the word, hold fast the word, guard the word. I charge you, not only for you as a minister, but for the church and for all Christians. The time's going to come when they will not want sound doctrine. And you remember that in 1 Timothy chapter 4, that Paul would say that in the latter times, that people will depart from the faith, giving themselves over to doctrines of demons. This final word, the time is going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they'll have their own desires and they will have itchy ears and they will have, you know, that desire to hear what pleases their flesh. And of course, as we talked about this very thing, as we looked at this epistle, it is something that we see today that people don't want to hear the truth. They want their own desires. They want feel-good messages, self-motivation messages. I swear, some of these guys are like, what's that guy, Tony Robbins, you know, the motivator kind of guy. And just everybody's pumped up, and it's like a big pep rally, and the great stories, and, and all of this. They don't want to convict or rebuke or exhort in truth. And when you don't endure sound doctrine, it causes you to have itchy ears. 
and to giving ourselves to fables. And I'll tell you the truth on this. When you have people that have itchy ears, you will have teachers that will be more than willing to scratch those ears so that they can become more popular or make a name for themselves and they'll scratch away at those itchy ears. I do believe that that we are in those days when people on enduring sound doctrine, I think of some of the things that Christians are embracing now, they're not enduring sound doctrine. You have those who have itchy ears. And I believe one of the great needs in the church today is the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God and for pastors to be faithful in doing that, even when it makes them unpopular, which it will do with many. But we are to give them the truth of God's word and give them the gospel, which has the power to save and the power to change lives. And Timothy, do this as you're watchful in all things. Verse 5, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Again, the pattern of Paul is, here's the warning, but here's your response to it, Timothy. This is what you're to do. You are to be watchful in all things. Be watching. How many times are we told in the New Testament to be watchful? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. We need to be watchful, especially in the day in which we're living in. Listen, Calvary Chapel, let's not grow sleepy or lethargic. We need to be about continuing in the Scriptures, chapter 3, and declaring, proclaiming the Scriptures, not to grow sleepy, apathetic, and to fulfill our ministry And every one of us have a ministry as we walk out this door to others. Fulfill your ministry. Proclaim the gospel every opportunity. And it's of importance and priority. And this is the charge that I give to you, Timothy. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this word given to us. And, Lord, what a wonderful reminder what the priority should be in our lives. You're proclaiming the word of God and doing it with love. And Lord, to stand our posts and not be ashamed of it or dismiss it or embarrassed by it, but proclaim it, herald it, because your word is true. Even as Jesus told Peter, or P- Peter would respond to, to Jesus and said, You have the words, Lord, of eternal life. And so we want to give words of eternal life to others. Father, as we come to the communion table, as we hold the elements, we do it with a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude. And if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, the communion table is for the believer. And I want to give you the good news of the gospel. Maybe you're listening on live stream or on the radio later, but if you're here, if you're listening, that Jesus went to a cross and died for you because he loves you. And the greatest need of any man or any woman is to be forgiven of sin because we've all sinned, and the wages of sin is death. It has separated us from God. And Jesus sent the only mediator between him and us The father did, and that was Jesus, his son. And Jesus went to a cross to die for you. And as he hung between heaven and earth, 
He died for your sins. He shed his blood to make atonement for your sins. And all of your sins were placed upon him. And then he cried out, it is finished. He was put into a tomb. He rose again after three days and he's alive. He conquered sin and death and proved he's the son of God. So the gospel message is this. That even though sin has come and we're all sinners, Jesus Christ came and died for your sins. And know that he loves you so much that he desires for you to come to him to be forgiven and receive thanksgiving and right relationship with the Father. Because the Bible says as we come in faith trusting him and calling upon his name, we will be saved. You repent. That word means you simply turn direction and you turn to Jesus for salvation, for eternal life and forgiveness. He is your salvation. There is none other. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Will you come? If that means anything to anyone this morning, you can come just sincerely in your heart praying, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I confess I am a sinner and I ask that you forgive me. I believe you died on that cross for me. You were put into a grave and you're alive because you're speaking to my heart right now. And I now make this my gospel, good news. Be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for forgiving me. And I thank you for this new beginning and bringing me into the family of God. And I do want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.